This morning, we continue with our sermon series called The Bright Golden Line, those Bible passages that you would look to in the midst of dark times to help see you through. And this morning's comes from John, John chapter 8, 32, where Jesus says, the truth will set you free. Now, for context, we're going to read more than that. So if you'd like to follow along, we're going to read from John chapter 8, starting at verse 31 through 38. But here again, these words from Holy Scripture. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And they answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you, you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you are free indeed. I know that you are descendants of Abraham, yet you look for an opportunity to kill me because there is no place for you, place in you, for my word. I declare what I have seen in the Father's presence. As for you, you should do what you have heard from the Father. So far, the ring of God's holy and inspired word, let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Have I ever told you how much I hate nutritionists or dietitians, you know, those people you go to to talk about how you're doing with food that you're eating. I know hate's a very strong word, and I, I guess it's not true. I guess some of them are good people. But in general, I really dislike going to a nutritionist, and here's why. Uh, my common experience of going to the nutritionist goes something like this. I go in, and they ask, so what have you been eating? And I'll say something like, oh, I've been eating salads. And they'll go, great. What kind of lettuce are you using? And I say something like, well, iceberg lettuce. And then they go, yes, but, you know, darker green lettuce is the kind that has more antioxidants. So the next time you have a salad, instead of iceberg, why don't you substitute it with a nice spring mix with some spinach or something? And by the time we're done with this kind of conversation, which to me just feels annoyingly pesky and picky, I walk out with two feelings. One is I'm just relieved that it's over. And the other one is I've never wanted tater tots worse in my life, right? Like just absolute self-sabotage in that moment. I'm going to go eat something really good. Forget the lettuce altogether. Someone once said that the truth will set you free, but it will have its way with you first. And I think that's sort of where this story happens for us from John. Jesus shows up at the temple, and once again, he's teaching. And this time, he's actually talking to a group of Jewish people who are believing, who are listening to him and, and taking what he's saying uh, as an authentic word to believe. But when he suggests that they're slaves to something, that the truth will set them free, they get offended. Wait a second, what do you mean we're slaves? We're children of Abraham. We've never been slaves. This idea that they are slaves to sin makes them offended. And honestly, as church, that's something we often have to recognize too. It is sort of 
a thing that a lot of people experience the church the way I experience a nutritionist. They show up, and it's this, what do you mean, this talk about sin and slavery and how what I'm doing still is not good enough? The scriptures hold this, though, as a very common truth that we are not just people who on occasion do bad things, but that we are sinful from the inside out. And people don't want to hear that. And I get why people don't want to hear that. I don't even especially love saying it. But the truth will set you free. You know, the idea of the bright golden line, this Bible sermon series that we're on, the idea there, that metaphor, comes from AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, that when you are going through AA, you're looking for a bright golden line. It's that one thing that will see you through even the darkest of times. And if you remember something about AA, they have 12 steps. And the first step in AA is to admit you're powerless over alcohol. You go to NA, Narcotics Anonymous, and it's you're powerless over drugs. You go to Overeaters Anonymous, and you're powerless over food. In our imaginations, these are all programs that are there to help people. That when they get honest and real about what's going on in their life, that's when things can begin to change. We believe that about those programs, but yet when we substitute alcohol or drugs or food for the word sin, that's when people get uncomfortable. And I get why, at least I think I get why. I've heard so many stories from all of you out there who have had that, that nun that wrapped the, the ruler against their knuckles every time they did something wrong in class. Or the priest who insisted on hearing your confession even when you had nothing to confess. Even in a more general cultural way, you've watched the movie Footloose so many times that you've seen the sweater-wearing nice guy who's the preacher who seems very interested in making sure that you don't dance. And the reaction to it is not one like we have with AA or NA or OA, where they're there to help. It's there to do some kind of harm. And so we don't want to go and hear another group of people talk about sin and our slavery to it. I get that. It's too judgmental. It seems like it's way too much about control, and the expectations are way too high. You know, in the age of the pandemic, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, a lot of podcasts. And the most interesting one I heard this week came from Radiolab. And they interviewed these scientists who had discovered an octopus that they had never seen lay its eggs before. This was at the bottom of a very deep body of water where they said you'd have to go down the distance of three Empire State buildings on top of each other to get to this depth, to the point where there's no light. So it makes sense that no one has ever observed this octopus laying its eggs before. But they started observing this. They went all the way down there and they saw this octopus doing this. And so they started watching to see what happens. And it turns out that, first of all, the octopus lays on its eggs for five years. That's how long it takes before the eggs hatch. And all the way through, as they observed, they never saw the octopus eat. In other words, the octopus, knowing that it was time to lay its eggs, also accepted it was time to die. And so over the course of five years of waiting for its eggs to be laid, it didn't eat. 
and it slowly waited until the babies were hatched, and then it died. I share that because the perspective. We have a God who is in control of that, control of life and death, who can do something profound at the deepest places that we've never seen before. And all over creation, all over the universe, this God is... is creating and sustaining life and death over everything, but yet that God cares about the last time you danced. It does seem, doesn't it, that too often when we as Christians have talked about sin, it has had much more to do with us wanting to manage behavior than wanting to proclaim the redemption by God. And yet... As much as they may not want to react against it, like I want to react against every nutritionist I've ever met, it's the truth that sets you free. Don't get me wrong, everybody who is in church, it's not just that we have people who are sinners who show up and we're the ones who have something to give. No, our sinful nature is also part of the mix. So we've got a lot to learn ourselves. We have to learn how to deal with this word in a way where You know, if we're going to talk to somebody about something they've done, we need to talk about the impact they've had on us without saying to them, without being, you're a bad person, but instead actually keep it specifically to that which has harmed us. We have to make actual requests and not shame them, not hide from the consequences because there are consequences to behavior, but also not trying to control them. There's an art in the becoming of a Christian, that's not just about the things we do outside the church, but how we interact with people in the church. And that is part of the sin that we also have to work out. In the end, it's all about, and we need to remember this, whatever we do, the art that we do, the ethic of our community is reconciliation between each other and with God. Jesus did not die on the cross so that bad boys and girls could become good boys and girls. Jesus died on the cross so that dead people could come alive. We have to remember that. And that has to fuel our ethic. An ethic that isn't just about picking the individual sins. You know, to take the idea of what those 12-step programs could tell you, sin is a disease. But it's sinfulness that is the disease. Sins, particular sins, the things that we do wrong, they're just the symptom. And we have to take all that into account into the work that we do, the whole truth of who we are. I read from Psalm 139 this morning as part of our prayer of confession. And you know, in that psalm, most of the time what that psalm is about is this effusiveness of saying to God, you know me from my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb, right? It's all this praise to God for God being so intimately connected with us and our creation. And yet the way it ends is, So search me and know me and get rid of anything in me that is offensive. Because it's God who knows that inside out, we still need to be changed. The truth will set us free. Don't let your impression of people trying to manage you with judgment and control and expectations keep you away from experiencing the truth that brings freedom.
Because really, in the end, isn't that our witness as the Christian community? It, it's, it's not just an ethic of how we think people should live. It's not just moralizing. It's us looking back at our own lives and going, yes, when we finally got real about what is going on in our lives, we, we had freedom. Jesus is telling you the truth. The truth will set you free if you explore yourself. You can find freedom in it. We are the people, by the way, that are witness, not just what we say we think, but what we've actually experienced is amazing grace. Think of that song, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Would that song mean as much to us? Would the grace ever be as sweet to our ears if we couldn't also admit the wretchedness? And how much more if we get real about what is broken inside us and our sinful nature, can we become people who are merciful? You know, still the most miraculous and sometimes impossible to believe part of the story of the woman who is caught in adultery is that Jesus looks at the crowd and says, those who are without sin cast the first stone. And people walk away because they know they're not perfect. It's really hard to believe that that actually happens, but in Christian community, that is what we are called to, to experience the mercy of God and then to become merciful ourselves. My challenge to you this week, when you hear that phrase, the truth will set you free, is to bravely be truthful, specifically to your community, your friends and your family, those around you, Tell them how you are struggling through this pandemic. Talk about the ways that you are failing to live up to your own expectations, if not theirs. Talk about why that's happening. And then see how they respond. I have faith that the people that I know in our churches, in our Christian community, will hear these things with empathy themselves, recognize them in themselves, they will respond with the fruits of the Spirit, loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, filled with faith, self-controlled, and gentle. I believe that they are capable of that, and that is what you will experience. But maybe you won't. Maybe it'll just be another experience of the nun who's wrapping your knuckles with a ruler. Maybe it's another experience of the priest who just is there just to make you confess, maybe it's one more time of the sweater-wearing nice guy who's more interested in judging, controlling, and setting out expectations for you than being with you on the road to redemption. Maybe that's what you'll experience. Or maybe you'll experience the fruit of the Spirit that Jesus said would be with his people. Either way, the point is made, isn't it? In their response, you will know what the truth is. And it's then that the truth can set you free. Let us pray. Gratitude, praise, hearts lifted high, voices full and joyful, these you deserve. For when we were nothing, you made us something. When we had no name and no faith and no future, you called us your children. When we lost our way or turned away, you did not abandon us. 
When you came back to us, your arms opened wide and welcome and look. You prepare a table for us, offering not just bread and wine, but your very self, so that we may be filled and forgiven, healed, blessed, and made new again. Oh God, you are worth all our pain and all our praise. So now in gratitude, we join our voices with those of the church on earth and in heaven. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. For us, you were born. For us, you healed, preached, taught, and showed the way to heaven. For us, you were crucified, and for us, after death, you rose again. Lord Jesus Christ, present with us now for all that you have done and all that you have promised, what have we to offer? Our hands are empty. Our hearts are full of wrong things. We are not fit to gather up the crumbs from under your table, but with you is mercy and the power to change us. Make us restless to change. Healing, forgiving, making us whole, that we may become for you your body, loving and caring in the world until your kingdom comes. As we together proclaim the mystery of the faith, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. So if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Everything old has passed away and everything has become new. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. For in him we live and move and have our being. And may the God of hope fill you with peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen, and go in peace.